Welcome to the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor podcast, LaughBox. We have multiple hosts and multiple guests and multiple ways to think out of the box using humor. LaughBox is a production of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Visit us online at www.aath.org. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Music by Gary Rubio. For more information, www.garyrubiomusic.com. Join us for episode 95 with Jim Bob Williams, KDB, and special guest Dr. Lois Holtzman, creator of the Developmentalist Advice Column and co founder of the Eastside Institute. Yay! Welcome to LaughBox, the official podcast of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. I'm Jim Bob Williams. And I'm Katie B. And today our guest is the developmentalist. Dr. Lois Holtzman of the Eastside Institute is going to talk to us about a number of aspects of human development. So without further ado, Dr. Holtzman, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jim Bob and Katie B. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great. Full confession, I don't think I'm a funny person. I think I'm a strange person, but I don't think I'm a funny person. And I've always felt bad about that. However, I have a lot of things that I think about and words that are connected to funny and humor. A lot of those I resonate with. So hopefully we'll get into some of that as we go on. I was trained as a developmental psychologist meaning I was someone who was researching how it is that human beings grow and develop initially through children and then throughout the lifespan. And I was introduced as a developmentalist, which I coined that term because a developmental psychologist is someone who studies. A developmentalist, in my view, is someone who helps people transform their lives themselves, their communities, their relationships, their emotions their ways of thinking, their ways of seeing, et cetera. So I like the term developmentalist. It's more active. I'm the co-founder and director of the Eastside Institute, which is headquartered in New York City, but is a global community and training center and research center for new approaches to psychology, theater, performance, play, and philosophy. And we bring them all together and help people give them some new kinds of tools to develop their communities and make social change that is lasting and in their interests. All right, thank you. That's that for beginning. That's great. You gave a great talk to the Humor Roundup for the ATH last fall. And so I was looking forward to being able to talk with you a little longer about, especially about development. What makes development, well, how how did you get involved in development and what was your, what's important to you about seeing people develop? I'll start with the second one. (laughs) What's important? to me about seeing people develop is that I think unless the human species develops, we are are not going to last. We we just, we need to grow. We need to grow new ways to see, to feel, to relate in order to have a shot at the world, Mm -hmm. given what's going on environmentally speaking, but also to have decent lives, to have peace, to eliminate poverty, to minimize, if you will, the ethnic, ethnic, race, sex, gender, all the inequalities of the world. So I think we have to develop, grow. And by that, I mean transform the way little babies do, the way we did all through our lives, that we, we don't lose what we begin with, even if it's terrible what we begin with. We, we transform it because we make new things. Babies can still babble as they learn how to speak. We can babble. In fact, you know, gibberish is one of the most humorous things that we can do. So we have the capacity, but what we've done through our lives with the support of other people and the building of ensembles and the creative use of play that we have in our our very early years, we continuously transform ourselves. We become speakers and dancers and talkers and drawers and painters and players throughout our lives. And we do that through play and we do that through appreciation. It's a rare parent or whoever is bringing up a child who at some point or another doesn't appreciate with delight their infant, their child. And we get very little appreciation the older and older we get. Wow. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I could 
go on and on and on. But this is such a great question, Jim Bob. So I am a, what I call a practical critic of mainstream psychology. Okay. And so is my institute, because what we are socialized to is that development is something that comes from inside us and the environment can restrict it or increase it. Okay, you can have a bad environment that doesn't allow you to develop into the stages you're supposed to develop into according to psychology. First you do this, then you do that, then you do that, then you do that, and then you're grown. Great. And that's harmful. It's erroneous. I mean, I, as a, I have a PhD in developmental psychology. I studied it. I know everything that everybody's written about it in their research findings. And basically, I find developmental theory ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. And I find psychology pretty ridiculous. And my way of dealing with the ridiculousness of psychology when it comes to people is that I am amused by it because I don't know what else to do with my anger. And so for me, humor is very, very important because it's, it's, oh, it's, the best humor for me, the best developmental humor, humor helping you grow, I think, grow emotionally, grow intellectually, is is when you pair it with your anger. Mm. And I, I hadn't oh. thought of that until two days ago when I was thinking about what we were going to talk about. And okay, it, I'd love to explore that some more. Yes, so, please. So tell um, us more about the, the, the link between humor and anger. Mm-hmm. Well, I was reading this piece in the New York Times the other day. I had cut it out. I hadn't read it at the time. It was about add a little levity to your life. Okay. Okay. And I never used that word levity, and I kind of know what it means. So I was reading this piece, and it it says, you know, it's healthier if you don't take things too too seriously. And it had these experts that were quoted. One was, I think, a psychologist who called herself a recovering serious person mm-hmm. which i thought was pretty pretty cool and the article ended i have it written down there's somewhere where is it it ended with psychologists have found there are four humor styles four humor styles in the world right yeah and i looked and i i don't fit i don't fit into any of those categories wow which is a common thing in life. You don't fit into the categories that people make. So I was I was angry at this article and angry again at psychology reducing the complexity of human life into categories and its obsession with identity. So now people could take a test and they could identify themselves as one of the humor styles. And that that is a not particularly harmful instance of what psychology does, but certainly mental health, diag- mental illness, diagnosis, great, all the things. Psychology is obsessed with identification and with categorization and the reduction of that. And people internalize that. And they walk around thinking, I'm a this, that, the other thing. So, well, let me in throw few, up, okay. what? do we get to a, a, in psychology and other disciplines? Okay, and I think this applies to politics, religion, maybe anything, is that we have our models of how we think the world works, but we forget that models are approximations, and they may be useful for you know, sorting things into different categories to help us you know, determine which ones to work on first, et cetera, or whatnot, but the model is not the reality, and we, we run to the next model because we think it's going to solve our problem. I don't know how many different management styles I went through in 35 years and everyone was going to be the the next big thing. And they may have solved particular problems, but they also generated new ones. And so we we never got to Nirvana. Absolutely. I agree with you a hundred percent, Jim Bob. And what I think also is that it takes a great toll on human beings. It takes a great toll because it so limits our creativity. Mm. It's so because what you said at the beginning is is so important. You said we forget that we forget the model is not reality, right? And how many people walk around 
with their identity, having been told and having been helped by being told, let's let's say that they're obsessive compulsive. Yes. Probably a lot. What does that, how does that limit you? It, it might free you, but think of it simultaneously limiting you to putting yourself in that box. It's it's very, very, I think very, very dangerous. Yeah. I think it, it stops people from imagining possibility. Mm. And, and in a way, I think humor is an antidote to that because that's what it is it's it's putting it's helping people imagine possibility and the humor itself is an imaginative possibility generator that's what i think it is i love it when humor is used to puncture the model that it's kind of like you know the emperor's new clothes thing where this grand new theory comes out and then somebody points out just this little bit of you know, absurdity, incongruity, it makes you realize, oh, this isn't the answer to the life, the universe, and everything. Exactly. Yeah. Absurdity. We have to embrace the absurdity of, of life always, but in particular, I think, at this current moment. Yeah. Or else we'll just wallow in, in depression. And Lois, if you were to make your own humor style, <laughs> if we were to play with that for a minute, what would you what would you play with in terms of a quick brainstorm on what your humor style might be? Oh, I wish I had some friends here so they could tell you what it is. I think I am I think when I am I, I appreciate humor of certain kinds, certain kinds I really don't like. I think I am humorous when positionally I am responding to absurdity. I'm responding to my own frustration or anger and something pops out and people think it's very humorous. I think I have also bemused, bemused toward life, which is accompanied by a passion to change it, to transform how we live. And I, I feel that helps me. So I have a calm sense. I have a my style is calm. Yeah. yeah, as you can probably tell. I mean, KDB knows. So <laughs> if I can play with this for a second. Yeah. You are a calm, passionate, transformative, bemused, humorist, improvisationally appreciating humor ahead above yourself. Oh, that is so wonderful. <laughs> I gotta I gotta put that in my in my bio, right? <laughs> right. <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> All Copy right. that down. That goes into the description of this show. Yeah. I'll write it from what we've recorded. <laughs> sure. But it does it does illustrate that yeah. that a per, it's not even clear a person is humorous. It's the right. relationship. It's it's you know, Fred Newman, my, the co founder of the Institute and of many other things that are growthful and developmental for people, had an improv group and he would say and all the improvisers would start the scene by saying, by practicing laughing and appreciation, because if, if you laugh, we're funny. And I really think it's true. Right. Well, there's a lot to be said about the contagiousness of laughter. Yeah. For one. And then even simulated laughter, we're finding in the science of, of AATH that even simulated laughter allows us to have those chemicals released, oxytocin, mm -hmm. dopamine, and serotonin. So then, so even just practicing laughter gives us the benefits before you go on stage or, you know, to help bring out more yeah. and offer the contagious values of simple laughter. Yeah, it's a performance for sure. Yeah. And you can perfect, <laughs> you can make it better. You can have many different laughing styles, right? Oh, yeah. That's one, one thing you can develop is, is different ways to laugh. That's right. Yep. So how are you growing, Lois? Oh, I think I think this podcast is growing me in like it was an opportunity. Okay. I'm gonna be a humor roundup, right? I am not someone that someone thinks of as humorous, but I don't have a big laugh. I'm as you described. And what 
what do I have to say about feeling? What do I have to say about it? So you're, it was a catalyst for thinking about it in a new way. And I think I do that. I, I, and, and I had helped somebody, a, a colleague years ago with who was going to give a, a presentation at a humor conference. So I had, not like I never thought about it before, but another example is I just finished a five week conversational course called Exploring Development. And I, I talk about development all the time since, you know, as, and Jim Bob asked me that first question, it's, I, I think I know what it is, but I allowed myself and invited these people in the class, 30 people to explore development with me and explore it in a way that was totally new for me. Exploring it's what it meant around the world and how difficult it is for us to convey our understanding of development and this continuous transformation through the creating of ensembles and building groups. And, oh, you know why it's hard? Because development in economic terms, development in community development terms, development in, in, in all kinds of areas around the world is, a, is not a good thing. Can you say more about that, Lois? Yeah, sure. Well, the, I had always looked at the problems with development and developmental theory in terms of human development as problematic because it was, I thought, reductionistic. I thought it was stage, you know, it goes, it's linear, it goes like this, that it's individual. Yep. And then if you want to talk about a community, you take the same terms that you use for individual and you apply them to community. And that it was fancy word teleological, meaning it had an endpoint. Mm-hmm. So that was my critique, and we built this whole other theory and practice, not in in a response to that is what people think, and so we have to create environments where they can experience development as the way we think it happens. And then, and I didn't pay much attention to the ways that theoretically and all other kinds of development are tied to capitalism and are authoritarian and are u.s centered or western so-called industrialized world centered so all the sustainable development goals of the united nations are excellent however a lot of the measurement by these big organizations of of development are are based on some idealized version of life that happens to be in the United States of America. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Yep. And so the so reading very interesting articles on that. It's not like I didn't know it, but exploring that, exploring the whole I mean, the Anthropocene and is there beyond human and is there more than human development? And what would that mean? Yeah. What would it mean for everything to develop? And, and so that, for me, was a way I'm growing. I'm sort of investigating and interrogating. I've always done that with language. But the language that I use and the Institute uses, I want to interrogate that, that as well. I'm like, so curious as to what? Why is there no word for performance in almost every language? Performance in the sense of play. Performance in a sense of being who you are and other than who you are. In most languages, there is none. They, they have a lot of fun and a lot of humor comes from playing around with how, what would you say in, in Portuguese? What would you say in Chinese, in Mandarin? What would you say? And so that, that's, it's a playing with, playing with language and concepts, I think is, is a wonderful part of humor. You cut out for a second there. Did you just say that there isn't a word for performance in many languages around the world? Okay. Yeah. There's a word for performance, like, you know, a a performance review. Right. But there's not a word that gives, or or being on the stage, but what it is that being who you are and who you're becoming at the same time and creating ensembles to see in new ways that's performance, playing with things, performing them. That's not, often there's no word. Right, thank you for for clarifying that. Jim Bob, do you have a question? Actually, dozens of them keep flooding to my mind because 
uh, opened up a floodgate here. I'm sorry. Okay. Don't be uh, sorry. That's great. Okay. <laughs> so, so is development the same as happiness? Do we want to develop to a point of where we're at risk of being teleological? You know, what does a development <laughs> what does a developed person look like? How do you measure it? You don't. Yeah. That's I, I don't think you can. I don't think you measure. Yeah. I think it it is the process of development can be very unhappy. Yeah. You know, it's hard, especially for adults who are quite set in their ways. And you know, even though you you hate this thing you do. Yeah. It's yeah. familiar. So it's very, very difficult and you can't do it yourself. I like your question because most of my life I didn't think about happiness. Mm. I think I was happy, but I, I you know, I didn't think of it as an as something essential. I do think now that happier people are more likely to develop and to transform the world. I think it's, I mean, the typical kind of revolutionary perspective is people reach a point of such misery that they rise up, Yeah. right? Well, that hasn't been working very well lately. Yeah. 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 Rise up. yeah. <laughs> it's either, yeah, we, we all know that. So, so from a psychological point of view, maybe that has its limits. Maybe that's not all that's needed to rise up, whatever, in a different way, to to create something new so that when the rise up happens, there's somewhere else for people to go. You know what, what I mean? What if the rising up comes from learning how to share happiness? What if that's a version of would, rising yeah. up that it is about the well-being of all including ev wanting happiness for all anyway sorry go ahead no 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 sorry i i agree with you i think because people don't talk about that they don't talk about wanting happiness for all they talk about wanting enough food for all wanting you know material things but i i i think we're onto something i think we won't we have no chance of getting there without wanting happiness for all and wanting and creating ways to help people be happier because if they're happier, they can think of new possibilities. I mean, exactly. part of the thing about exactly. being unhappy and being stuck in depression or anger or whatever is you, you don't have new thoughts in a way. You, don't, you can't see possibilities. You're stuck. You feel stuck. So being creating is part of creating unstuckness. I, I do think that's the case. I agree because, you know, when we look at improv and humor and these, these things that are now being studied and what it does to our brain, we become more innovative through play and development and improv. And that is opening up synapses, allowing us to have more options come into us as ideas. And those have the potential to solve the problems that we've been trying to solve through protest all these years. And I'm now I'm playing. And all the positive psychology stuff and all the meditations and all the, the gurus. And now it's, we're seeing this sort of one line answer, which is, you know, you find your happiness through serving others. You find your happiness through being aware of people around you and being in a we mindset. And all of that helps us be more innovative. Well, that means it's inclusive. And that means it's more than just inclusive of who's in our country, but it becomes globally inclusive. And then we look at how to solve the problems from a purpose standpoint. And I'm again playing that by caring about people finding happiness and humor and joy and peace that we've done before, but from a different perspective, we're performing a head taller because we're not reacting, we're being more proactive, maybe. And then maybe we have a better solution and a more lasting solution through those avenues, maybe. I don't know, you've inspired that whole thing. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, great. And I'm thrilled that you added maybe because all of that, of course, is completely worth doing and completely unknowable. Yeah. Exactly. Can we 
pursue a little bit. I, I, I'd love to know my sensitivity is struck by your use of the word find happiness. And I, I just would like to know what that means when you say find happiness. I think we're all capable of being happy. I think sometimes life experiences make it difficult to find happiness. So one of my ideas is that it's a, it's a process that takes development and action. And even if it's simply taking action, like counting our blessings to help raise a mindset that offers focusing on the positive. Go ahead. I'm not uncomfortable with, I just have a different view of it. Great. And I'm, I'm trying to, well, I'll just talk and we'll see what happens because I, yeah, perfect. It's so, it's so related to, because people do also say find the funny, right? Isn't that something? Yes. True. Yep. And, yeah. The thing I find passive, I find that, that word passive. And I think that what we're really talking about is creating. Can we slow down just for a minute? So you find the word find passive? Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Just to, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. To me, finding happiness or finding the funny is more passive than I'm comfortable with. Hmm. And I expect more from human beings than finding the funny as if it existed already or finding the happiness in something or someone, even if it's something or someone you do, I think we create the funny. I think we create happiness. It's not out there waiting to be discovered. It's, it's something. It's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Right. No. Yeah. We brought this up in the humor roundup and I forgot about it. Yeah. So this is great to revisit that we are the co-creators and therefore we are, it's up to us. There's a bit of responsibility there. Yes, I would. Yes. And I, I think to just stay with the creating for a moment without going somewhere else with it is really valuable because it's the creative capacity of human beings. So we created the idea that you find the funny and we could look at what the implication, what's that done for us? Well, it's done many wonderful things. I would say that it's also limited us and reinforces the passivity. So that, that playing with the language is both one of the wonderful things about play and it can obviously be humorous and there's humorous ways to play with. I'm sure Katie B could write a song right now that would have to do with finding the funny and creating the funny and she would do it in five minutes. And then she won't forget it right. <laughs> because she will have she will have created with it. That's right. my point. Have to create with it, and 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 so without that, I think like I really hate humor that makes fun of people. Really, really dislike that. I like humor that makes fun of oppressive institutions, <laughs> which has to do with what I was saying earlier about to me the relationship between anger and humor is very close. And when you make fun of an institution that is oppressing you, at least for me, I see it differently. I'm still as angry, but I, I don't know. There's something magical about, about that, about humor, about things that are, especially like institutions, but like so much of humor that you see in everywhere in the media is making fun of people. And I really love that. And, and even in conversations with friends, if there's a snide remark about someone really, I, I don't know how to handle it yet. Still developing around that. I don't have a good way, but I really find it distasteful. I agree. When you go through a Twitter feed and you see how much of it has evolved, you know, it's, you know, conservatives trying to own the libs. It's the liberals trying to make fun of it. And, you know, stuff that, and it's interesting when you see people using forms of humor that they object to, for example. Yeah. Yeah. You know, body shaming. No, we never body shame. However, this politician is, you know, insert your body shaming joke Great. here. But it's, for me, it's always been, if you can make fun of the situation instead of the person, it's healthier. Because now we share 
the problems of the situation. Found this very effective. In, if you work with a bureaucracy like the Environmental Protection Agency or something, you know, that we all experience the joy of paperwork. And you can make a connection over the over things like, you know, bureaucracy and red tape. And you know, you combine with somebody on that, then you can create a healthier relationship than just a you know, a citizen and a regulator or a enforcer and a person. Yeah, that that's great, Bob. I, I really I like that the joy of paperwork. I think that's yeah. it's funny. And uh, another thing you brought up there's one one of my boss talked about a personal definition of success. And that you see people make themselves miserable trying to get a promotion, a higher grade level. They work real hard 40 hours a week so they can become a boss and work 60 hours a week. They you know drive themselves into health problems where there's other people that they stand back. And they just do their jobs. They enjoy their jobs. And they get the pleasure out of doing a job well done, going home at the end of the day and having free time. And he said, you have to find your personal definition of success. The, and, the company cannot do it for you. Who you said know that? What, Jim you, you know what makes you happy. Yes. Who said that? I wish I could remember the, the, the man's name. Okay. He worked for okay. the Dow Chemical Company. Okay. Uh, work in 2001. Okay. <laughs> just checking. I wish he'd written a book. Uh -huh. So Lois, what is the Eastside Institute and all of the amazing things you're involved in, in organizations and global effect, talk a lot about emotions. What's screwy, confounding, confusing about how we think about emotions? Question dear to my heart. The main thing is that we think about emotions, people normal people or meaning not professions. Okay. That's what I meant by normal people. Hopefully we're all not normal. We think they are inside us. We locate them sometimes here in our hearts and sometimes here in our bellies, very rarely in our heads. That's supposedly where the intellect is in itself is ridiculous. The whole thing, the things are located. I mean, things are located, but that things, but that human emotionality is located within us and then if it's located within us and it's a thing how come katie b could say to me you're angry well it has to be that it got out right if it's here and someone makes a comment a guess as to what i might be quote feeling then i have had to have let it out in some way and anger management is a way, I guess, to both control so it doesn't get out, or as parents say to children a lot, use your words. Don't use your hands, use your words. Okay. Mm -hmm. So all of that is individualistic, embodied yeah. in the person that's me, in mm -hmm. my body, different places, and is related to as fixed. What I can do is manage it. It's a behavior. I have to work on my anger behavior, work on your anxiety. So if emotions are understood to be inside each person, and if they are understood to be of a certain quality or and have an impact on someone else, then the job is to manage them, to change the behavior. I don't think that's what emotions are or where they're located and there's all this philosophical and psychological literature on the difference between emotions and feelings and sensations and all of that i'm not going to get into that right now but if i think emotionality is an activity that people do mm -hmm. i think it's a performance i think it's an activity mm -hmm. and that the way to help people create more and more emotions, more of them, nameless ones. We already have many nameless ones, but we always try to fit them into the categories. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I think I think that's I think I'm anxious. Well, Jim Bob, what's anxiety look like to you and what does it look like to me and what does it look like to KDB? And mm -hmm. and it, it's completely some similarities, but also different because we're unique individuals. 
So we try to help people in social therapeutics and social therapy really work on helping groups of people create new emotions. We created the ones we have, we named them, psychology named them. We believe they exist inside us. How can we subvert that whole thing? How can we subvert that picture of emotions? So what, what confounds, and I think I'm answering your question, is where they're located, what they are, who has them, and what we do with them. So fixed is, I'm an angry person. Fixed is, that always makes me angry. Fixed is, I can't, fixed is the opposite of what I was saying about anger and humor. You can always play with the anger and performing my anger is, is, is if I was good at it, I'd make a joke. I'm not good at that. <laughs> the performing my anger through, through humor is some kind of, you know, wordplay or no. talking. I talk to myself a lot. I really, I, I do out loud to myself, meaning no one else is in the room about, I don't know, I'm off on another track, but there's this thing. One of the categories of humor was self-deprecating. Yeah. Yes. I'm not the least bit self-deprecating, but I will walk around and say, you are such an idiot. Mm. When I, but I'm not, it is not creating the emotion of I'm bad or it's, it's a thing to say. It's a thing to perform. It's a thing to do. It's a thing to play with, mm. with, you know, leaving my phone upstairs for the 25th time. You so know, it's, it's a little self-deprecating. Self it's a little bit self-deprecating, but it's also like. You don't take it very seriously. It's just a statement because the next thing I wanted to get into with you is your passion is language. So everything that comes out is important to you, whether it's humorous, whether it's whatever. And I wanted to, if that's okay, I wanted to get a little bit into that too, because you speak a lot about language. Yeah, I think let me just respond to it is a little self-deprecating i think it is to the other person if someone's in the room okay oh it's as if i'm talking to the to the dog to dina constantly talking to him he doesn't understand me and he doesn't take offense in being called a baby or i mean maybe bad boy he might take offense i mean he hears it as because he knows what that means but when I say I'm such an idiot, it's real. It it is so not self-deprecating. It's like, and it's not glorified. It's just like nobody hears me. I don't even hear me. I'm just saying it because that's you know what I mean, Katie. Yes. So, yes. Um, there, every word, everything that comes out is important, even the nonsense. Yes. And the meaningless. So that's that statement when I make it is part of my part of my performative activity when no one else is around and right. it has no meaning and it's important. Let's check in about Dino briefly and then Jim Bob, what's your next question? But I just want to check in after the humor roundup. How is Dino doing and how are all of you thank doing? You. Thank you. And thank you, Jim Bob, for wishing him well. He is very, he's doing well in that he has developed his relationship with me to the point where he will recognize that it would be really good if he didn't bark at everything and he uh -huh. didn't nap. It would be really good. He knows that. That's good. That's a, that's a big development. Yes. And, you know, the, the loudest noises in the house, it, it's, it's so interesting, the non-human creature that you live with, the slightest noise of a car coming down the street is what he gets at he could have an explosion in the house nothing wow it it it, it I, yeah i don't it's not something i understand or even need to but to recognize the particularities of the yapping is really helpful to the development of our relationship on my part very nice so that's been pretty it's been a group exercise Absolutely. Very nice. Jim Bob. I like, I like that you're not forcing the, the dog to adapt a particular behavior to suit a model, but appreciating right. that it has 
the, the doctor's response to stimulus is differently. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's just what it is. Okay. So one of my favorite questions to ask okay, is, and this, what do you want people to know about development on Thursday? Yeah. They're just living their life and something comes up. What should they be mindful of to, you know, to, to enhance their personal development? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't, I, I don't know that saying this to, to yourself on Thursday is going to work, but being involved in activities that show you the, the value of it. But the thing is, you can always develop. You can always create, find others to support you, share the shame, mm -hmm. um, if that's what it is. Create something other. So like Wittgenstein, the philosopher, Ludwig Wittgenstein, who was really into words and language, great fan of his, he had this way of, of seeing things so that what you would do a confusion, a painful emotion, is you can move about and around it. And that's sort of the basis of, of the social therapeutic approach. Like people in therapy, you're, you're not going to, we don't think you can remove your panic, your depression, your obsessive compulsive behavior, your PTSD. You can't, re you can create more different emotions so that Think of your head if you want to, as it's just bigger because you got the depression here, but you have the happiness here, you have the love here, you have the this here, you have the that here, so you're bigger. You have more That's resources like than you know. Yeah, and you're and you're creating, and they're ones that you and others created together. That's the that's the thing I'd like them you know, on Thursday. I can create happiness right now. I can create calmness because so much of that, when we were talking earlier about meditation and da da da, and what goes on in the brain, it's like you can create. Yes, but the more powerful developmental creating of calmness or happiness is is through what you create with other people, the socialization of it. Yeah, and I'd like to follow up with the. The preface we were doing to this to today's meeting is growth is relational so on monday tuesday wednesday thursday and every day this is a new form of life does does that help help me yeah help us <laughs> i don't know it, help help we because i have a note here about the activity of reaching out to one another and how growth is relational can you can you go into that a little bit oh sure sure so a lot of people talk about connection and you have to connect and da da da. Well, yes, and we are connected. When we're connected in some horrible ways, yeah. horrible ways, but <laughs> there are people. The violence, the violence in, in in the world is relational, isn't it? Like if there wasn't the perpetrator, it's just, anyway, yeah. we're we are related. So how do we how do we embrace that we're relational and take a look at I don't like how this relationship is going. Can we transform this relationship into something that is better for me, better for you, better for the world, doesn't destroy, isn't competitive, whatever, whatever, whatever. And so I think that is giving people more responsibility because we are connected and look at the mess we've made in how we've connected rather than Everyone's isolated, da, 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 let's, we have to connect. I just think that's, lets us off as human beings. I think you're right. So, yeah, I, I agree with what you had, what you said. It, it, we are relational, mm. and, but we've always have been. It's just that we're in a bad relationship. Right. And instead of blocking each other and shutting each other out, we can create a new way of being together. Exactly. And to do so, we have to be, we have to play. Yeah. We have not in the frivolous, you know, oh, ha 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 play, but we have to play with how we are. We have to improvise. We have to do all of the aspects of features of humor. Yes. I think it would be fun, not now because we don't have time, but there is absurdity. There's laughter there's funny there's humor 
there's amuse, there's bemusement, there's irony, there's like there's so many family resemblances among all of these descriptors. In most cases, how we speak, but in many, many cases, what we do with our bodies. You know, so much of humor is, is physical. And so I find that whole category of words, and I'm sure there are more that are that I hadn't thought about for a long time. So that's another thank you you for this opportunity to think. And I don't know how you all think about it or the Humor Academy does. I think it's all developing. I think it's ever changing. Jim Bob? Definitely. Okay. That's a rabbit trail we can go down as far as they try to decide exactly you know, what makes humor, what makes humor therapeutic, which is another question. But I, I just want to make sure that we do get the time to talk about what projects do you have coming up that you'd like the world to know about? Oh, many, many, many. I mean, obviously one is related to the way I talk about myself, the developmentalist, which was a column, a vice column like no other that I yeah. started maybe six months ago to see if people I wasn't able to talk to or see in person, people I didn't know, people I do know could write me a letter for advice where I would be able in that letter to help them play with what they saw as their problem in a developmental way. Like, how can you think about this? How can you solve your problem in a way that is transformative in little ways, you know? And, and as you know, because we did it publicly. Dino wrote the dog, wrote me a letter. And I think it was very helpful for both of us. So that's part of it. I think that therapy and humor are very similar in the following ways, especially social therapy, but a lot of therapies that are helpful to people. Unexpected. What are you doing in the conversation with a therapist? The therapist is, is working with you to help you see something in a new way. Hopefully the conversation in therapy is improvisational and not following a manual. And there's a twist. There's often a twist in a in a therapeutic conversation that, oh, I never thought of it that way. And it could be something like, you know, I stayed in bed all day because I'm depressed. Well, how do you how do you know? How do you know? How do you know? How do you know that's why you stayed in bed. That's a twist. So there if you I, I think if you if you took social therapeutics for sure, it has to be an audience for it to be to appreciate the humor. Right. In a way, there's an audience in therapy. Every other person, there are others there. I think if I think you could make lists of humor characteristics and social therapy's characteristics, and they'd be quite similar. That's oh, that's a new thought. That out, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That looks sounds like fun. Because yeah, well, humor is you know recognition of a concept and seeing the incongruity and then the body's reaction to it kind of uh, wit laughter and mirth as uh, Stephen Sultanoff would say and a lot of therapy is identifying connections and relations that you didn't know were there before and, exactly yeah. yeah so therapeutic humor interesting gives it sheds a new light on on your, your the name of your organization right no Oh, yeah. So, Lois, you have a, an upcoming event in January. It's a workshop. How long is it? And I, I'll tell you, I'll just bring up the title of it. We have never known what to do. A practical, critical exploration of unknowability and what can happen when we embrace it. Can you talk about that? Sure. It's very impressive that you can say that whole title. I'm going to have to memorize it. <laughs> it's a 12-week course. And it is online with bi-weekly Zoom calls and writing and speaking and drawing and doing all kinds of things as a group in a simple Google group in between the, the weeks. And it's, I mean, I do a course like this, a 12-week one every year, and the Topic and title grows out of lots of conversations and what people are thinking about what I've written. I mean, I, I wrote a, a book called The Overweight Brain, How Our Obsession with Knowing Keeps Us from Getting Smart Enough to Make a Better World. I just realized that's another long title. And 
And so some of the ideas and this put forth in that book will be part of this course. But I wanted to help people get deeper into and relate to emotionally differently the fact that it, people are feeling like nobody knows what to do, including themselves. And so I thought that we could explore what is that? What is that feeling? Why do we think we can know what there is to do? Why do we think we should know what there is to do? What is the, briefly speaking, the history of knowing? Do people always think, do people all over the world think they have to know? And what does that have to do with ourselves as human beings and how it is that we develop? Because we didn't know what to do when we were born. And we did a lot. And to leave you with that thought, we didn't do it alone. We did it with other people. We had a good connection then. Now we're supposed to do it alone. We're supposed to know how to do it. And we got bad connections. Oh, that's so great. Wow. And so, because we're kind of running out of time here, Jim Bob, do you want to give the rundown of the where we can find Lois? Yes. First of all, your website, loisholtzman.org. The Eastside Institute. Any other social media connections that our listeners should be reaching out to? Well, if they're, if they're psychologically oriented, I, I have not written in about six months or a year, but I have, oh, maybe a hundred blog posts at Psychology Today. So they're great. So Holtzman yeah. is H-O-L-Z-M-A-N, right. Lois, L-O-I-S. And the name of that column in Psychology Today is A Conceptual Revolution. Love it. So that, that's another social media place. I mean, I uh, obviously Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, and those are, LinkedIn. sorry, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, all under your name, Lois Holtzman. Right. right. And the Eastside Institute, they have their own posts, correct? Pages. Yes. And then eastsideinstitute.org is the website for the Eastside Institute. And the developmentalist can be found on Instagram and at loisholtzman.org. Anything else we're missing? I don't think so. When, when do you um, find the time yeah. to go shopping? I mean, <laughs> well, lately I've been doing a lot online. We've been doing a lot online. Started to, you know, almost three years ago, but uh, no, I do. I have time to walk on the beach twice a day. With the oh. dogs too. Yeah, yeah. that's lovely. Oh, so Lois. Fun. This was great. Thank you. Do you want to share an email address or anything, or do you want to let people just contact yeah. you through the website? No, it's L-H-O-L-V, as in the zebra, M-A-N, L. Holzman, at Eastside Institute, all one word, dot O-R-G. Great. Lois, thank you very much. This has been wonderful. Yeah, greatly appreciate it. Thank you time to talk to us. You're welcome, and uh, thank you both. It's been really fun to talk with you. Thanks. Great. Thank you for joining us for episode 95 with Jim Bob Williams, KDB, and Dr. Lois Holtzman. Thank you very much. This has been LaughBox, brought to you by the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. LaughBox is a production of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Visit us online at www.aath.org. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Music by Gary Rubio. For more information, www.garyrubiomusic.com. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.